Alrighty, well, we're going to be continuing on in the, uh, the book of John. And I just have to slide that down ever so slightly. There we go. Uh, in the, the first epistle of John. So uh, as we do each week, I want to just briefly go over what we learned last week. Uh, so last week we spent uh, a little bit of time looking at the fact uh, that in this world there are false prophets. There are false prophets, people who are against Christ, uh, and that there are people who, are, while they're against Christ, they don't do it from a malicious point of view. They just don't know any better. But then there are people like this who are specifically against Christ, and they do it uh, from demonic influence. And so we went over that last week. Uh, spent most of our time, in fact, talking about that. Uh, and so we're moving on from that this week. But uh, as always, I want you to keep this in, your back of, uh, in the back of your mind. When we, when we read Scripture and when we, we go exegetically through a book of the Bible verse by verse, uh, it's always important to remember what we've covered in weeks past uh, because it's all in one chunk. This was one letter. This wasn't just uh, you know a couple of verses posted on Twitter, this wasn't 140 characters and then we move on, it was one continual thought. So I always like to uh, just sort of summarize what we did last week and uh, before we go on. And this week, uh, I I very rarely give titles to my sermon sections, uh, but this week there was a natural one that sort of flowed out of my study and it was this. This week we're going to be talking about the perfecting of God's love. And right off the bat, there's going to be a, there should be in you a little bit of a, uh, of a resistance to that title because it's happening, perfecting, rather than that God's love is already perfect. Did you, did you notice that when you read it? It was a little bit like in the back of your mind, if you've been here for long enough, uh, there should have been like a little alarm bell that went off. And if there wasn't, well, we're going to talk later. Um, the perfecting of God's love makes it sound like it's not already perfect, that God's love isn't perfect. And so we're going to get to that uh, as we continue on. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Uh, It's on page, I think, 1021 or 1022 of your core Bible, if you have one. Um, So let's just sort of go through this verse by verse. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. And God's word says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, I I know my usual preaching style is, if you're new or you're not used to my preaching style, I'll go, I'll tell a joke, and then I'll I'll like sort of hit you with a point. Uh, Every now and then, I think it's important just to pause uh, over verses maybe that we've heard lots of times before, uh, maybe we have a, famili- uh, you know, a, a familiarity with them um, so that they don't really impact us that much. But every now and then, I want us just to stop and look at a couple of verses. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Isn't that amazing that love is from God, that it was his concept? Uh, I know I, I preach often about the creativity of God, that he... Uh, loves us and that he created the entire world and the universe uh, and and that kind of stuff. But um, sometimes these sorts of aspects don't really impact us that much. Uh, And so really I just want to... God invented love. Like you didn't. Like when you held... If if you're a parent and you held your baby in your arms for the first time and you felt that love for them, uh, you didn't come up with that feeling. That wasn't a chemical reaction. That wasn't just uh, indoctrination of society. That was God giving you a gift. God came up with that. Isn't that great? Anyway, just saying. 
I haven't had my coffee this morning, so my brain's sort of all over the place, so it's going to be a fun sermon. Now, so, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Uh, I, I want to just clarify a couple of things on this. Uh, this statement does not rule out the fact uh, that you need to have faithful confession and that you need holy living. Um, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll read a sentence like that, that we're of God and we love because God loves us and, and this kind of stuff, and it's great and it's wonderful, and it fills us with happy, happy, fun feelings. Uh, but then we sort of take away uh, our responsibility in that scripture by saying, well, I'm of God and I love God, therefore uh, I don't have to really worry about much. But the reality is uh, just because that God loves us and, and that is a fact that God loves us doesn't mean that our responsibility for holy living goes away. Uh, it doesn't mean that your responsibility to seek out sin in your life and to not pursue it and, in fact, to turn from that sin and go in the opposite direction, it doesn't mean you don't have that responsibility to identify areas of stumbling in your life and continue on the road of progressive sanctification. And so really what I want to do is, is encourage you that, yes, God loves you and amen, and that's great and that's wonderful. You still have this responsibility of free will to identify areas of sin in your life and to separate them from your life. You do that through the power of the Holy Spirit, praise Jesus. You don't actually have to do that by yourself because if you did, you would fail miserably. Um, there's no one that I know that can overcome sin by themselves, in and of themselves. You overcome sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I just, uh, right off the bat, I just want to uh, throw that up there just so that we know. And uh, just in case you're wondering, I'm not making it up, we read this in 1 John 2, 23. No one who's, uh, who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Uh, and so this idea that the confessing that the Son is the Son, that he is the Son of God, that he came in power, is part of our Christianity. It's not just a one-and-done thing. You don't just, when you become saved, you don't just say, hey, uh, I love Jesus, he's the Son of God, and then you never mention it again. It's a, a progressive thing. It's a constant thing of confessing the Father. Uh, in addition to that, in First John 4, verse 2, which we covered last week, we read this, by this you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And so that confessing of Jesus Christ as Savior, as the Son of God, is important for us as Christians. Too many times what we do is we, we become saved and then we sit in that saved state. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is maybe you come, you sit on a Sunday morning in the pew, and then that's it. You don't really think any more of it. You don't really do anything more of it. You say, well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Uh, to, to give you a, an example of this, I once met uh, a guy. He was 86, 86, 87 years old. And he said to me, yeah, I've been a Christian for 87 years. Uh, to which I replied, uh, how does that work? Uh, and he replied, well, I was baptized as a baby. But there was no fruit or evidence in his life of salvation. There was no fruit or evidence in his life of Christian behavior. It was simply a state for him uh, that he was baptized as a baby, so he thought then he was good to do whatever he wanted for the rest of his life, uh, and then when he died, he would go to heaven because he was baptized when he was a baby. Christianity is not like that. It, it's, not, it's not this passive thing that sometimes we try and make it out to be. It is arms and legs moving. It's not just sitting on your butt. 
Does that make sense? I don't want to harp on it too much because uh, more than any other church that I've been a, a part of, this particular fellowship of believers is really good at being the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, it's really good uh, to give you an example. In the last month, we've had two funeral services in this building uh, and the amount of volunteers that have come out from this church to serve those families in their times of grief has been phenomenal. Um, it's been simply amazing. And so uh, I don't want you to feel like every week when I get up and I'm like, you need to be the arms and feet of Jesus, like you're not doing it, uh, because this church is doing it. And it's a wonderful thing, but keep doing it. Anyway, that's... Keep doing it, because Christmas is coming. Right? (laughs) Whoa! All right, now. Acceptable forms of adoration are amen, preach it, and hallelujah, not bursting of balloons. Love completes the picture of a life in fellowship with God. And love is presented here as a consequence of, not a precondition for being born of God. Uh, I I want you to understand that. If if Maybe this is something that you're struggling with, I don't know. Um, Love is a consequence, not a prerequisite. See, too many people think... Uh, God's going to love me when. God's going to love me when I get my life together. God's going to love me when I get my act together. God's going to love me when I can finally start tithing. God's going to love me when uh, I know which songs in the songbook we clap to and the ones that we don't. Uh, I know uh, God's going to love me when. God's going to love me when. And too many people, too many Christians, think that love is a precondition of being born of God, not a consequence of The reality is God loves you exactly where you're at right now. He doesn't want you to stay there, but he loves you right here, right now. One of the best definitions of this is religion says do and Jesus says done. In any other religion, it's about how much work and effort you put into it to be saved and to be loved. In Christianity, it has got nothing to do with the amount of work that you're uh, able to do. It's got nothing to do with you. It has to do with Christ. Uh, I had this conversation this week with a lovely lady in our home league. Uh, it was great, and it was, uh, it was talking about some of the differences between different religions uh, and talking about the focus of the Bible. And one of the things that I said uh, was that the focus of the Bible is God. Too many times what we do is we, we insert ourselves into the story of the Bible uh, where we don't belong, and we take the focus out uh, of the Bible out from where it's supposed to be on God and put the focus of the Bible on us. The Bible is not our story. The Bible is God's story. Uh, and so one of the things that we do in, in religion is we say we need to do stuff to be saved. Uh, and in Christianity, it's the reverse. Christ has already done it. It's finished. When Jesus was on the, cr- on the cross of Calvary, one of the statements he made was it is finished. That was it. Like, no more. It is finished. And what he was talking about was the saving work is finished. His work was finished. There was no no longer going to be any need for sacrifices. There was no longer going to be any need for temple worship or restrictions in that sense under the law. But instead, he finished the work of salvation, which is great news for us because it means we don't have to work at our salvation. We are saved. And so love is the consequence, not the precondition for being born of God. Verse 8. 
Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. This can, again, feel a little resistive because some, we all know people who are not Christians who love their families, right? We all know people who are not in the fellowship of believers who have love for friends and families and uh, jobs and things like that. And so here, what the, the, the way that we would define this is the definition of the word love. See, uh, as frustrating as it may be for us, there's about three or four different definitions of the word love found in Scripture. Uh, originally, the Scriptures were written in Greek, and in Greek there's four or five words for love. Um, I should say the New Testament was written in Greek, the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and frustratingly, they've got four or five different words for love as well, so it's sort of equal opportunity offender there. If I say to you, I love my wife, and then I say to you, I love mod pizza. Are those the same type of love? No, right? Uh, if I say to you, I love my wife, and then in the same breath I say, I love the Seahawks, <laughs> you might have to think a, bit, a little bit longer about that one if they're the same word for love that I'm using. You can love a pair of jeans, but if you love your jeans the same way as you love your wife, there is something wrong in your head, my friends. And so here, when we're using the word love, anyone who does not love, we're using a very specific Greek word, which is agape, which means sacrificial love. This is the type of love where you say, I am going to stand in front of a bullet for you. This is this type of love. This is the type of love when Jesus said, greater love has no man than this than a man lays down his life for a friend. This is the type of love that is demonstrated on the cross of Calvary. This is the type of love where in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says uh, that God loved us so much that Jesus died while we were yet sinners. It's that type of love. This is not the love that I have for jeans. This is not the love that I have for mod pizza. This is not even the love that I have for the Seahawks. This is the love that I have that says, when my niece and nephew is sick, I would do anything for them to be better. This is the type of love that says, when my wife is upset, there is nothing that I wouldn't do to change the way she is feeling. This is agape love. And what scripture tells us is that uh, if you do not know God, you can't fully agape love. Unbelievers can love others to some degree, but not in the same way that the indwelling presence of God uh, enables believers to love. You and I love at a different level than non-Christians. Now, some people are going to say, well, that's really judgmental, and that's really whatever. I don't care. It's what the Bible says, so I'm going with the Bible, right? Does that make sense? Uh, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm not trying to be mean. But when I read scripture, it clearly says that there is a different level of love that Christians are, have access to because of their status as Christians. It is agape love. It is sacrificial love. More than that, the person who lacks love shows himself or herself to be unchanged at the core of their being by the gospel message. Here's the flip side. While Christians have access to this love through Jesus Christ, any Christian who doesn't display that love has shown that they, the inside of their being is unchanged by the gospel. Ooh, again, judgmental. And now I'm being judgmental on Christians. I'm an equal opportunity offender. 
the Bible makes it clear that if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that there is a change in your heart from that. Your heart should change. It shouldn't stay the same. And now, I'm not saying that it should change instantaneously overnight. Uh, you don't become a Christian, then instantly you are perfect in everything that you do. Because my jokes still aren't perfect. Wow, some of you laughed. This is now my favorite side of the congregation, going over here. They laughed at my jokes. You guys didn't. Think about your sins. There's not an instantaneous... I really wish there was an instantaneous... Uh, after a really long day, I get stressed out. I get angry with people. I really wish I didn't, but I've got a short fuse at the end of the day than I do in the beginning. At the beginning of the day, I have coffee and love and everything is great in my life. So the, at the beginning of the day, sure, the love of Jesus is emanating from me a lot. By the time you get to the end of a 12-hour day and it's in kettle seasons and you're thinking, man, I just have to go pick up, and then you pick them up and you get back here and then there's just that one person who always hangs out and they're like, can I just ask you one more question? At that time, I'm like, no. Go away from me, Satan. Like, that's where I, I'm at. I, I didn't become instantly perfect when I became a Christian. Uh, and this is something that what, what we call progressive sanctification. It's that what we are doing through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are slowly, slowly stumbling forward on the path to sanctification, on the path to holiness. It doesn't happen instantaneously. It doesn't happen immediately. I really wished it did because I would have made a whole lot less mistakes in my life if, I, if that had happened. But we go through this uh, this change, but at the end of the day, if you have proclaimed your love for Christ and your heart remains unchanged, you need to check whether it's Christ you're loving or yourself. And that might sound harsh and judgmental, and it is, but it is based according to what we read in Scripture. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And the point I want to bring out here is that God's love is not an abstract principle. Uh, a lot of the times when we talk about theology, we talk about in, in high, esoteric, abstract thought. But here, what I want to really define to you is that God's love is not abstract. It is weighed and measurable. You can measure the love of God through the sacrifice of Jesus. That is a real way that you can measure the love of God. It is not just like, uh, well, you know, I think he loves me. He wrote a couple of things down in scripture about love, and so maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. No, there was a physical thing that God did. He sent Christ to die. That is a measurable way of of measuring God's love. It is not an abstract principle. And so when we read that uh, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him, the life that we get in Christ is the way we measure the love of God. Christ said that he came to give us life and life in its fullness, that he came to break free the change of sin that enslaved and ensnared us, uh, that now that we are in Christ, that we are heirs and co-heirs to Christ, to the glory and riches of Christ uh, and God. There is many things that we read in Scripture that we understand that these are the reasons why Christ died. It is to, to demonstrate fully the love of God that we might live through him. 
Verse 10. See, we're moving along, clipping along, great speed. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In this is love. So right here, what we're doing is, again, defining love. We're we're pulling out maybe the abstract thought we have of love and replacing it with a solid idea of what love is. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Scripture says that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, slain or given before the foundation of the world. Jesus' death on the cross was not plan B. Jesus' death on the cross was not God looking down, realizing that we had messed up and being like, well, what in the world am I going to do now? Jesus, go down, take care of this. Like, that's, that's not what this was. It wasn't thoughtless. It wasn't unplanned. According to Scripture, the sacrifice of Christ was predestined before the foundation of the world. I want you to understand this because I think it demonstrates love at an incredible level. Before God created you, he knew that you were going to rebel against him in sin. And he did it anyway. Think about that for a second. This is like those really silly people over at Facebook creating an AI, and then that AI creating its own language, and them thinking, hmm, that's a bad idea, let's shut this thing down before you know, Terminator happens. Happened about a month ago. Do you know you guys not read just me? Okay, never mind, here we go. It was in the news. I thought everyone knew this. Maybe it was just in tech news. God created us with the foreknowledge that we were going to actively rebel against him. And in his divine plan, he made a way for those who would love him to come back to him. That's amazing. Because I don't think anyone here, I don't think any, any one of us would do that. I don't think any of us would uh, start a plan knowing that that plan was going to go off the rails. Now, plans go off the rails all the time, right? I thought this orange tie this morning was a great idea. Plans go off the rails all the time. We don't plan for them to go off the rails. That's why they're off the rails. But God knew that we were going to actively rebel against his sovereign might. And yet, still said, I'm going to display my love by creating them. And then said, I'm going to display my love for making a way for them in their rebellion to come back to me. In their rebellion to come back to me. And that way was Christ. Which brings us to this... uh, Sometimes rather difficult word to pronounce. If you say it six times really fast, you really lose it. Propitiation. I've talked about this word before, but I always like to bring it back. The word propitiation is the word that Scripture uses that means this. The satisfying or pleasing of a wrathful deity or God through the sacrifice of blood. This word is not unique to Christianity. You can find it in other religions. 
This is the idea that God's wrath can only be satisfied through a sacrifice that involves blood or some form of sacrifice on our part, that we're losing something. That's what this word means. This is how this word is defined. In some translations of Scripture, you won't find this word. They'll translate it atonement, uh, but it's not the same Greek word, and so I like words to actually mean what they say when we, when we read them. Uh, and so this word here, propitiation, I want you to again understand the full weight of, this, of what this word means. And what it means in a nutshell is this. The consequence of sin is wrath. Sin brings the divine wrath of God. Now, I know it's not really popular in Christianity to talk about wrath very much. It, it's an iffy kind of subject, right? Like, you know, we don't want to think about God as a, as a wrathful God, you know, the type of God that smites people down. Uh, when we read Scripture and we read it correctly, what we understand is that the divine wrath of God is a righteous response to sin. Wrath is not just... God having a schoolyard temper tantrum and saying, you broke my toys, now I'm not playing with you anymore. That's not what the wrath of God is. It is a righteous response to sin. And so sin brings divine wrath. And here's what propitiation means for you and me. Christ absorbed that wrath on the cross of Calvary. Here's what it means. You and I, by the nature of who we are as sinners, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that we're sinners by the fact that we're human, but also by the choices that we make. Your nature is sinful. Your choices that you make tend towards and have a natural bent towards sin. That's what Scripture says. So, because you are a sinner, the wrath of God should be poured out on you as a just reward or a just response to your sin of rebellion against the God of the universe. Are you with me so far? Sinner, wrath. It's an equal sort of thing. For as much sin as there is, that's how much wrath there is. Whoever the sinner is, the wrath needs to be poured out onto. It is your basic form of justice. But what God did sending Christ to die on the cross of Calvary is say for anyone that believes in him, the wrath that was supposed to go to that individual instead is going to be poured out on Christ on the cross. We read that in the book of Romans, just in case you think I'm making it out. It says for those that believe in Christ are no longer appointed to suffer the wrath of God. And this is fantastic news for us. Because it means that you and I, instead of being appointed to suffer the wrath of God on judgment day, instead we'll stand in his presence and we will declare, yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I followed Jesus. Yes, I, I did everything that, that you asked me to do. And yes, I followed you with my life. And yes, my, the fruit of my life bore the actions of Christianity. And yes, I did all this. And God will look at you and say, not because you were awesome, not because you did all this stuff, but because you followed Christ you no longer are appointed to suffer the wrath that everyone who did not is appointed to suffer. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card, but it is as close as it gets because Christ was the one who suffered for us. So while you and I might have got out of jail free, Christ did not because that wrath was poured out on him on the cross. That's what the propitiation of Christ is about. That love is born out in this word. Again, not an abstract thought. 
that Christ knew going into the game that this was how it was going to end. We sung, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, and I wonder if those words rolled off your back as we were singing it. And then he stood in the garden, and he prayed, and he cried. And he didn't cry for his own sins because he was sinless. Instead, he cried for ours. He sweat drops of blood for our sin and for our sake. And then he went to the cross and he suffered and died alone. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The word beloved here is in the form of agape. And this is what John is referring to Christians when he says beloved. He uses this word. It's more than just sacrificial love now. It's sacrificial love together. I I want you to understand this. I need you to understand this. This is not just I'm going to sacrifice once for an individual once. This is sacrificial love. Us as a family of believers united in Christ sacrificing constantly for each other. If you want to define church, this is the way that you should be defining it. A group of uh, imperfect people getting together on a regular basis to see how we can sacrifice and help for each other every day. That's what church is about. It's not about the building. It's not about the orange pews, which are... Orange is a horrible color. It's not about the songs that we sing or the fact that every now and then I use different bulletin covers just to confuse you. There's a reason for that, by the way, in case you were wondering. So here's my little tangent. The reason we use different bulletin covers. The bulletin covers in, comes in packs of 50. Every service, I print out 35. means every week there is 15 bulletins left over, which means every now and then you get in a collection of assorted bulletin covers just to confuse you and to make sure that my cupboard gets empty. But, because we're talking about sacrificial love, any of you that are angry about that need to sacrifice that anger for me. Thank you very much. Do we do this? I think we do. I think we do it well here in this core. And so, again, I don't want you to feel like this is an admonishment. This is not an admonishment. I feel like we do this well. But like anything, and like William Booth said, this and better will do. That we sacrifice for each other. That we love each other through sacrifice. That we take care of the needs of each other through sacrifice. That we ask ourselves daily, what can I do for my brother and sister? See, if the entire church of Christ acted like that, when the world looked into our doors and saw us acting like that, Can you imagine the effect it would have on people? When they're like, man, that's what Christianity is supposed to be about. It's not about harsh people condemning each other, hitting us with Bible passages over the head. It's it's not about that. It's about sacrificially loving each other through our love of God. Verse 12. Finishing up here. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. 
if we love one another, only then is God's love perfected in us. This is why it's the perfecting of God's love. Because if we don't love one another, then God's love will not be perfected in us. I'm not saying that. The Bible just said that. And so as we end our time here today, I want you to understand this point, that God's love can be perfected in our lives if we love one another. That's what we do moving forward. That's where we go from here. This is the boots on the ground, the, all right, preacher, you've been yelling at me for 35 minutes now. What am I supposed to do with all of this information? This is the point. Going forward from here, love one another and God's love will be perfected in you. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the amazing Sunday that you've given us to celebrate the light of God and the love of family with this color orange. Lord, I wish that you had picked a different color for orange, but... We'll talk about that when I get to heaven, I suppose. Lord, I thank you for this congregation in front of us that we love and we love well. I pray, Lord God, that for each one of us that you help us to love even better, that from this place going forward you help us show true agape, sacrificial love. Lord, not to earn your love because we know that we already have that but instead, Lord, so that your perfect love can be perfected in our lives. We pray this in your son's precious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.